listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. We can bow together to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in worship, in understanding, even as we've been worshiping and singing here today the truths of the gospel that changes lives, that changes families, that changes relationships and churches and cities and countries and is the hope for our world, a world that is filled with crisis, a world that is filled with confusion. The gospel is the answer. It's the king of kings that we've been worshiping here this morning. And we pray that even now as we now look to the mighty, the powerful, the inerrant, authoritative word of God that we would take these words and not just as a suggestion, but as words of hope and life and truth that will equip us, that will strengthen us, that will give us direction. And ultimately, it points to the hope that we have. And so, Lord, even now as we have been worshiping Jesus Christ and our amazing God, the creator of this universe. We pray that now as we go to the written word that it would show up in a powerful way in each one of our lives, not just in the moments that we're here this morning, but throughout the course of this week and that today would be a wake-up call. Today would be that uh, time in the word that we spend together that will mold and transform and build the foundation further on this young church that has begun that it would be a church that would be built on your word, on your truths, and ultimately would bring glory to you through the disciples uh, that are being produced here, through the way that we see the lost being found, and then to see each one of us continuing to be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And Lord, we ask that your presence would now work here through your spirit in our lives. We pray for the Harvest Kids and those that are serving in that ministry. Thank you for them, and I pray that the word of God would be impactful in their lives today. For those children that are hearing the word of God, may they respond to it in obedience. And we pray that in our lives here too. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. You can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, Romans 12, as we get started here this morning. The ushers are coming forward. They have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we value the Bible here very much and encourage you to be bringing a copy of God's Word with you. If you don't have one, um, you can just raise your hand. They'll pass one out to you. Encourage you to be writing down things. I'm going to be telling you to write down things, and so you need a piece of paper. You need that connection card. You need that pen. They also have pens. If you need a pen, just shoot up your hand. They've got pens. They're well-equipped ushers, and uh, they can can help you in that. You need to be in the Word. I love nothing more than not to see the the glow of your face from, from your phone so much, that, that's okay if, if you are using that kind of, um, nothing better than hearing the ruffling, hearing this, can you hear, hearing that on a Sunday morning when I say open the word, Romans 12, have it open, we're going to get into that right away here, and because we value God's word very highly, and it is our authority for life, and, um, and so we are... I'm going to launch into that in, in a few moments. As we, as we start this new message series, it's only going to be a two-week series for now. And uh, just to close out November, just thought, got to get this started, got to get this going here for, for the end of November and then into Christmas. Going to have a, a special Christmas kind of message theme called Pursuing the King. And excited about that. And then in the new year, we're going to come back to the series because we're just going to scratch the surface of this about getting real. How do we live as real people in a very fake world? How do we live as authentic people, genuine people in a world that is oftentimes very, very fake? And um, let's face it, there is, there's a lot of fake in our world. I mean, just, I mean, whether it's a rip-off, scam, hoaxes, frauds, phonies, whatever, I think even this slide was one that was um, taken and um, is a fake slide even, believe it or not, found from, from some bogus website or, or whatever. I, I don't even know exactly where, where we got it from, but fake identities and email addresses and, and fake social media accounts and, and all kinds of things. And then, I mean, there's fake burgers, 
Like, really, there is. I mean, like, veggie burgers, excuse me, that's on the left, that is not a real burger. I, I don't, sorry if you're a vegetarian and really value those, I, I've had them, they're not good. You know, but then I, I look at the real burger on, on the other side, and then I see fake cheese on it. You know, and so, I mean, you just kind of like, you know, there's genuine, and then there's fake, even when it comes to our burgers. You know, and, and then there's fake coffee out there. I mean, Charlotte uh, enjoys drinking, as well as my dad. This is the common bond that they share right now. It's harder and harder to find calf lib used to be postum how many of you ever ate postum it's basically roasted wheat that they turned into coffee times were tough uh, back then and, and now they're not making it anymore but this calf lib and this is even organic and it's a grain beverage filled with chicory and so it's a coffee alternative fake coffee you can buy fake coffee if you want to ask charlotte where she found it she would be more than happy to probably even have a few coupons for you you know in order to be able to to go out and buy your calf lib she knows that she's already getting my dad for Christmas this year. It'll be a couple jars of calf lip. Anyways, you know, so, so fake coffee, then you even have fake muscles, fake body parts. Let's face it, that's becoming a big thing. Like, those are fake. Like, that is just, that is not natural, whether it's those neck muscles or those biceps. I know there's some guys coming close to looking that good here, but they're doing it the natural way, I'm sure. But, you know, um, you know and, and then you can go onto these websites, like to AliExpress or, or whatever it might be, and you can buy all kinds of fake merchandise, most of it being produced in China, they look like the real deal. Like even there, you can barely tell the difference between what is fake, what is real. You can buy sports jerseys, running shoes, um, sports socks, all kinds of knockoffs as often they're called. They look like the real thing. Fraction, fraction of the price, but oftentimes you find out after you start to use them or you get them home that they are fakes and uh, they don't last as well. The quality is oftentimes not there, but hey, they look good, but they are fakes. How about when it comes to our own lives? Oftentimes we fake it, don't we? When someone says, how are you doing? And you go, oh, great, just having a great day on the inside. You're crumbling. The inside, you're miserable. You're fearful. We like to pretend that we have it all together, that we either are the model family or the model marriage or, or even for us, the model church, you know, and, and, and we want people to look upon us well and say, wow, look at them. Do they ever have it together? And, and, and so these kind of things go on, but then behind the scenes, you find out that, oh, they're just barely holding on. Whoa, things are not what they kind of look like on the surface, and you dig a little bit and you see the dysfunction. And we're all living in some degree, some level of dysfunction in life because we are sinful creatures, born with a sinful nature. But the good news is we're being transformed if we're in Christ and if we're allowing him to transform our lives. Look at professional athletes, movie stars, those the lives of the rich and famous. They look like they have it all together. And I think all of us at one point or another have kind of thought, oh, would it ever cool, be cool to be like that person? Oh, would I ever want that? And then you just wait a little while and you start to see what's really going on in their lives and you hear about rehab and abuse and you hear about charges being laid, broken relationships, prison, suicide, hopelessness in the midst of those who ha seem to have it all, wealth, fame, success, power, money. It's all fake that they're happy. It's not authentic. Or how about the Duggar family? Um... People have enjoyed watching, and we've watched from time to time. I think that uh, perhaps the ladies a little bit more in our house have watched 19 Kids and Counting, and it's just like this almost too-good-to-be-true family. And uh, with 19 kids and, 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 and more, maybe there's, a, I don't know, and then the kids are having lots of kids now, and all of this is going on. Like, um, and, and, and now the real story of what's kind of behind the scenes is starting to emerge, and it's awful, it's ugly, and it's sad. Things aren't what they seem when it comes to some of these things and what looks like the perfect, the genuine family that the kids don't kiss or hold hands. Uh, I don't think they're allowed to hold hands until they're, um, while they're courting and it's all these certain standards, very solid, biblical, Bible-believing, home kind of thing, but you realize even there it's not perfect. And we are desiring to live genuine, authentic lives in the midst of a fake and a hurting world. And the question is, how are we to do this in a world that is hurting, that is confused? There's a lot of confusion in our world today. Life events, world events, things that are going on in your life, in your family, in our world. There is so much fear that is being experienced in our world over 
the world situation and, and various things that are happening with terrorism and ISIS and, and the economy and all of these different things. How do we respond? How do we respond as genuine people in the midst of a, a broken world, a fake world, a very, uh, very mixed up in a confused world? How do we respond to that? How about in the hurts of life? Recently, my niece, who's 18 years old and has blessed our church here um, over the last year or so, a number of times, and even our core group days with um, helping in worship, and her and her, her dad come to the coast, and they will come from the coast and, and serve here, and, and many of you would know my niece, Courtney, recently find out, finding out that she has cancer. 18 years old, and having to go through this. Do you hear the C word? What happens? What happens when we hear that? And it's devastating. Or this week on Instagram, a friend of ours from Alberta, this was a lady who Charlotte and I have gotten to know. She was a teacher to Nate and, and, and a dear teacher in the school in the town we lived in, posted this on Instagram. And uh, this has bothered me this week just in a major way. And she, she wrote on there, I don't normalize post-personal stuff, but my dad is in the early to mid-stages of dementia, and he knows it, knows it. It's the worst. And you see the hurt. You see the confusion. You see the fear. This is the world we're living in, folks. How do we respond? How do we not become victims in this, but rise up and be genuine people? How do we be genuine followers of Christ and make an impact in our world when there's all this hurt, confusion, fear, frustration, and much of this ends up resulting in anger? It's amazing how angry our world is. Just, just try driving and, and accidentally, accidentally cutting someone off. And, and you end up finding there's just so much anger. I think I, I've even heard there's photocopier rage that, that people with pent-up um, anger in the office and then the photocopier's not working. They're like, come on, let's go, let's go! You know, and just start reefing on the photocopier. And, and, and there's a psychological analysis for that, I guess, but in short, it's called photocopier rage. You know, and, and, and how do we live in it? We live, let's admit it, we live in a world that is full of sin um, and, and is, is struggling and... And we are too. We're living in, in the midst of, of all of this. And, and I want you to know here at Harvest Bible Chapel here, here in this city that I want you to know this, that it is okay to not be okay. Do not walk in here thinking you have to have it all together. That you cannot show up for church if you are struggling and if you have, you're in shambles and you feel you might be close to tears. Welcome. This is the best place to be. It's okay to not be okay, but folks, it's also dangerous to stay that way. That's the add-on into that. That it's not okay just to, to, to stay not being okay. And we want to help you. We want to pursue in relationship authentic living, a genuine faith in the midst of these kind of things. That is the heart of discipleship. That is what we're about. It's not growing a bigger church. It's about growing a truer church of genuine disciples because then as we are truer and as we are more genuine, we have a powerful impact on the world around us and that they know they can walk in here and it's okay to not be okay. But we also believe and we're going to love one another and walk through stuff together because we also believe it's not okay to stay that way. Let's admit it. Because of sin... We all are living in various levels of dysfunction. But because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, there is hope for every one of us. And when you understand the gospel, it starts changing your outlook. And that's why this niece of mine was able to sit in the doctor's office with her parents and with a confidence and just a peace that God has given saying, I know that God still has a big plan for my life. That's a confidence. That's a hope. Where do you get that? You get it in the word of God. You get that through the spirit of God as a genuine believer in Jesus Christ that he has a plan. And even as the apostle Paul said, whether it's by life or whether by death, I want to serve. I want to give glory to the Lord. And he will use it when we are sold out, when we are committed to him. Because real life is not simply like a Hollywood set. You know, where everything looks so good on the surface and it looks just 
perfect, it looks right, it looks authentic, and then you look behind it and there's absolutely nothing there. We want to be real people, true people. We want to have, be people of substance. And how do we do that? How is this available? All because of Jesus. In humility, we are free to admit that we are not okay and that we need help. And by God's grace, through his power, we can be transformed. Every soul in this room, every soul in this city, from the guy who just half a block away, right along a boulevard, was half asleep or was sleeping out there this morning, his soul can be transformed by the power of the gospel. Your family, that broken relationship, there can be restoration, there can be power, there can be God's healing that can come into our lives. So how do we act? How do we react? How do we live in all this crazy, mixed up, broken world? What does a genuine faith look like? And, and what does a genuine follower of Jesus Christ look like? And, and, and this is an important question. And so um, as we get into this message series and, and into Romans 12 over the next few weeks here, um, we're going to, to take a look, we're going to dig into this. But two weeks ago, when we were finishing out our Acts series, we finished it out with Simon the Sorcerer. I mean, a guy who believed, who baptized, was in the church. He was following along. He was, he, he was in. Everyone was like shocked and amazed. Even Simon, the guy who practiced magic arts, is in. He's a follower. But then all of a sudden, we see that he was a fake. He was there for a good time. Not a long time. And when God, when his faith in Christ and following the way no longer kind of fit his agenda and fit what he wanted it to fit, he bolted and he ran. And he went out and lived his own life. He was there for just a time, but he stands as a reminder in time for each one of us that we need to be examining our own heart see if we are in the faith, that we are genuine followers of Christ and not just subscribing to a way of life or to certain actions and activities. We're going to look at this passage here in, in Romans 12, and, and, um, and we're going to start in verse 9 and go to verse 21, and we're kind of starting smack dab in the middle of Romans 12, almost not quite, but in a major transition period in the book of Romans here between chapter 11, chapter 12, and the heading in this passage in many of your Bibles, it will even say something, the marks of a true Christian, or the marks of a genuine follower of Christ. And in these verses there that we're going to look at in the next two weeks, there's at least 30 imperatives or, or commands or instructions that you see here. I believe today there's about 13 different commands that we're going to see instructions of, of things that the Apostle Paul is telling us to do. And some of you are crazy people. You love to be organized. You have lists. And I just say that because I'm jealous, and so I called you crazy because I'm not quite like that. I'm just like this, but some of you are so organized and detailed, and, and you write out lists, and then you mark it off at the end of the day. Some of you will do that for the week, for the, you know, for the day, for the week, for the month. It, it was kind of cute just watching um, my daughter left on, on a volleyball tournament on, on Friday, and, and when I got home from, from the men's breakfast, I looked, and I, I saw her list of the things that she needed to, to take with her, just to be that reminder, and it's just like, you know, good, good thing to do to write, write out those lists. Sometimes if the list is in the mind, you can kind of forget these things, and so so, so Paul is giving a list of things here, but we have to be so careful that we just don't see this as a to-do list, as a checklist. It's so much more than that, and, and, and we have to understand the heart behind all of this. And so here in Romans 12, this is not, please do not go and say, okay, here's what I have to do now, because this is the mark of a genuine Christian, and if I do this, this God will love me. We do this not because we have to. It's, we don't do this because the work has already been done. It doesn't earn our salvation. Our, the work at the cross has already been done. And, and so we don't do this. The price has already been paid. Our salvation is available through what Christ has done, not by works, not by fulfilling some to-do list. And as I mentioned, chapter 12 of Romans is this transition chapter. The first 11 chapters are teaching. They're great theology, great instruction, great understanding to who God is, to the gospel, to, to the love of God. And, and, uh, but we also have to understand that Christianity just isn't a philosophy. 
It's not just a teaching, it's practical living. It's a way of life. And so the first 11 chapters are rich and full and thick of the teaching and instruction and doctrine and theology that, that makes up the life of a follower of Christ. And now as we transition here into chapter 12, we see the practical way of living it out. And so the first 11 chapters build a foundation. And as anyone who has built a building, any builder would know the foundation is the most important. Get the foundation right. Spend time on that. I remember when we did a, a church building project one time in a church where I was at. I got so frustrated because we were so excited about this building that we were finally building. And, and finally the construction started and they were digging the hole. They were doing all this. And they took forever, forever to get that crazy construction built, uh, the foundation built. And they packed it. I mean, they had crews working, packing it, working it, working. I'm like, come on, get some walls up already. I want to see some action. I don't want to see this below ground stuff. I mean, you, that, that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't excite me. The walls, the roof, the, the windows, that, that's the exciting part. But they knew, get the foundation right. When you get the foundation right, you can build on top of that. And this is what the first 11 chapters are in the book of Romans. It is the foundation. It is the, um, it is the essentials. It's the understanding who we are, who God is. And so, we see then into chapter 12 a description of the genuine faith. Um, this description of a genuine faith is, is one to be of progressing in our lives. And as we look and understand who God is and what he has done and how we end up responding and reflecting this marvelous gospel message. And as we look at the riches of our salvation and, and understand those first 11 verses and the magnitude of the glory of the gospel. And it ends up, we see that, that it's, it becomes a reaction for us to want to live out what we're going to talk about here today. I want to give you an assignment this week. hope you take me up on it. And that is to read the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. And just don't read it. I mean, you can read it all in one sitting. It will probably mean that you might have to miss a 45-minute TV show this week. All right? You know, you fast forward through the commercials anyways. I mean, take the time. Read the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. But I want you to even consider writing or taking a sticky note, if you don't want to write in your Bible very much, but at the top of each page of the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters, write these words. He did this for me. He did this for me. And as you go through and you see this deep, thick, rich book, these 11 chapters, and you personalize it and just don't think that it's just out there. This is, this is good knowledge. He did this for me. And I believe as you read that, you are going to bubble up with God's glory and with just thankfulness and gratefulness for what he has done. In fact, I think this might be kind of cruel, but there, probably in this room there are a good number of people here that have a hard time sleeping because of fears, because of aches, because of different things that go on in our lives, anxiety, maybe it's sometimes excitement. I'm actually going to be thinking about praying that many of you don't sleep well this week. So that as you're laying there in bed and you are allowing all of these things to flood over in your mind, you are actually now taking these truths that you're reading in the book of Romans and you understand how deep the Father's love for me and that you are there and you're not filled with concern, but you're filled with worship. You're not filled with the worry and anxiety that's coming, but you are blown away. He did this for me, that we get this picture of our great and our mighty and our powerful God and how he invaded this world. Yes, we're going to celebrate it at Christmas and we're going to go over the top as individuals and families celebrating the coming of Jesus. It is a big deal, but it's not about the presence. It is a big deal because he came to bring you hope, peace, help, light, salvation, grace, mercy, Keeps going on. And as you read through the book of Romans in this week, when fear and anxiety and different things start coming your way, you reflect back to the first 11 chapters and keep thinking, he did this for me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. And that you would be enveloped in that love 
and that you would fall asleep with the biggest grin on your face, but there's almost this excitement and this energy in you that you may not be able to sleep because there's this giddiness of, this is who I am in Christ. This is what he has done for me. And you're blown away by his mercy and his grace and his glory. So don't think it as cruel that I'm hoping you don't sleep well this week. I'm hoping that you end up resting well. And I believe that when we fall asleep to his glory and to his peace, that is when there is restful sleep that can come. God's word says he gives his children rest. He gives his children sleep. Get our eyes on him and he will do that. And so I'd encourage you to take that assignment and take it to heart. The rest of the book of Romans is... is Really, what we end up seeing here is a reflection and a response. I encourage you on your connection card to write down those words. You're going to hear it a bunch here today. It is a reflection and a response. What we're talking about here today is we go through these 13 imperatives, and we're not going to list them all 1 to 13. You can do that on your own afterwards, especially if you're a list kind of person. You'll probably end up wanting to do that and checking to make sure that there's 13. And, uh, but write down reflection and a response. And so, first 11 verses, and then you come to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and what does it say? In view of all this, in light of those first 11 chapters, what does he say? Surrender yourself. Living sacrifices. Dedicate yourself to him in full surrender. Someone texted me a couple weeks ago, and, and, and she asked a simple question, and she said, surrender. What exactly, and I mean exactly, does it mean? does it mean? And I'm like, wow. And that was all the text said. And I'm like, that is a loaded question. And so how I responded, surrender is like death. It's like death. I'm done. I'm out. Then I went on to explain a little bit more of that. It's giving up my will, my ways, my agenda, my fight. God, it's yours. Hands off. I surrender it to you. It's all yours. But it can feel like death. But he brings, and he's a God who has the ability to bring life from death. And when we surrender ourselves to him, that's when we really start to live because it's his power and his strength that starts flowing in and through our lives. And then, those are the first two verses in, in Romans 12, and then in, in Romans 12, 3 to 8, a listing of some spiritual giftings. And if you're in Christ, you've been gifted. You have spiritual gift, a spiritual gift or giftings, and then you have abilities that we are called to be used in the body of Christ, to serve here, to serve the body of Christ locally as well as universally. God has given those gifts to each one, and they're all different gifts, and they're all needed. And so in view of first 11 verses, or first 11 chapters of what God has done, our response is surrender and to use these gifts, and now we're into the response and the reflection here as a response and a reflection of what God has done. We're going to now take and share that with those around us. Romans 12, 9 to 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In this passage, we see a progression and we're going to cover part of that progression this week and part of it next week. And we see the progression that, first of all, the first verse talks about me. It talks about my heart. It talks about where I'm at personally in my own life. And then verses 10 to 13 talk about in here. So it starts here. It progresses to the body of Christ, to the local church. And as we understand that, then next week, we're going to look at it out there. There's an exit door out there. Out there. Exit door out there. Somewhere. 
No, it's there, and you go out this way. So if there's ever a fire, don't go there looking for a door. You just go down here, and you go over there, all right? But it's out there. There's a progression. Here, it's got to start here. It, it's got to move into this room, to the body of Christ. And then it moves out, out into our world. And not just to those that we rub shoulders with that we like, but it's also, you see the progression, even those who we don't like, those who irritate us, those who persecute us, our enemies. How about the Syrian refugees? What does, I, I, I don't care what all the opinions are on social media as far as what we're supposed to do with these refugees from Syria. What does God tell us to do? What does his word say? That's for next week. I know you want to know, but so do I. So we're going to study that next week, all right? And so here we go into, into this. It starts here. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Now this could almost look like one of that, the first checklist item, and I guess it kind of is, but it really isn't. Because this is the way that it is actually in the original. It is, it's more genuine love. It's a heading more than it is a command. It's just... It's the, roof, it's the roof on top of the house. It is the important, it's the essential. Above all things, it is the banner over top. Love without hypocrisy. Genuine love. That's the banner. And it's speaking to us individually. You can't have a loving body. You can't have a loving family if you're not loving yourself. Not loving yourself. Loving others and have the understanding of love. Genuine love it's love without hypocrisy. No phony love. And the greatest thing in the life of the Christian is what? It's love. God demonstrated his love to us. If you read the first 11 chapters, you're going to find that out in Romans 5, that God first demonstrated his love towards us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Corinthians 13 that we, I mean, is the love chapter, and, and there is a wonderful description of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not rude. It is not arrogant. It keeps no record of wrong. And it goes on. And then, then at the very end of that little section there, it says, and it ends with, there's faith, and there's hope, and there's love, but the greatest of these is love. Love is the most important here. We see Romans 13, a little later on, it tells us that when we truly love others with a genuine love, we're fulfilling the law of God. You cannot be a follower of Christ and not love others. You say, well, I just love people that are like me. Too bad doesn't count. We've got to love those that we don't like. And go through life long enough, even within your own house sometimes, in the church, within the workplace, wherever we go, we're going to find people that we don't love very much. Love must be genuine without hypocrisy. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. What is the first thing that is given as a fruit of the Spirit? The first one is love. Romans 5, 8, already mentioned that. God demonstrated his love to us. John 3, 16, how, how did this whole love thing begin? With God. God so loving the world. And what are we supposed to do? Reflection and response. So in a response to God's love, we are to reflect his love. That is the mark of a genuine believer. We've experienced the love of God in our own life. We see it in Romans 11. We've experienced our own life personally. We are to share it with others. There's kind of a joke at times amongst pastors, and sometimes they joke and, and, and say, and I've been there, um, that pastoring would be so much easier if it wasn't for the people. It would be. I love my job every day. If I could just pastor, not have, have people, <laughs> then I guess you really... Aren't a pastor then, right? You know, and uh, um, this week I told Charlotte, I said uh, I would really enjoy pastoring a lot more if I didn't have to preach. I find it hard. Hard, hard, hard work. Hard work. But rewarding. You can't love on your own. You say, I can't do it. There are these people that just drive me nuts to get under my skin, and I just don't know what to do. It's just, you know, it's like chalk, taking my fingers on the chalkboard. They just drive me crazy. You say, I can't do it on your own. Exactly, you can't. Romans 5, 5 says that God's love poured in through us, through the Holy Spirit. He gives us the ability through his spirit to love others. You can't do it. You don't have enough love within you. 
to be able to properly love, but through the Spirit is the Spirit, is His love is being poured into our lives. We are responding to that love that's been poured on. We're reflecting it. We're giving it out. Our response, it's a response and reflection. 1 John 4, 19, we love because He first loved us. God doesn't wait for us to clean ourselves up before he accepts us, forgives us, and welcomes us into his family. He takes us as is. Don't you love that? It's not like gain a certain level of, of, you know, traction in your spiritual life, conquer a few sins, stop a few addictions, you know, start, start doing a few good things, and then God might accept. No, his love was demonstrated before that. He doesn't love some future version of you. He loves you for who you are right here, right now. He's crazy about you. I love what um, D.L. Moody, an old pastor and evangelist, since he's passed away, says, there's a lot of people who talk cream but live skim milk. Isn't that good? We talk the cream, talk well, but we're actually living a skim milk kind of living when it comes to loving others. The mark of a genuine believer is genuine, authentic love. Jesus said in John 13, he says that people will know that they are my, you will know you're one of my disciples if you have tolerance for one another. What is it? Hello, what is it? Love. Mark of a disciple, true follower of Christ, love. Say, I can't, I know you can't, but he can, and we take and we receive his love, and we reflect his love. Next it says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Abhor, that, that word there in the ESV is, is like hate. It's vehemently, vehemently dislike. It's pretty much one of the strongest words you can find for the word hate. In fact, it's the only time that it is used in the New Testament. And so oftentimes we hear that, that God is a God of love. And, and he is a God of love. In fact, co-worker of Charlotte's just even mentioned to her, she says, all you're hearing oftentimes in churches today is about the love of God and the grace of God. And, and that's all nice and true, but that's only part of the story. God is a God of love, but do you know what? God also hates. He is a God of who has hate. He's able to hate. And they'd say, really? Yeah. Proverbs 6, write that down. Proverbs 6, 16, read it this week. I love what it says. There are six things the Lord hates. Oh, no, there's seven. And, and, and you see this list. Pride, a lying tongue, a murderer. Well, of course he should hate murderers. They've taken someone else's life. What about the lying tongue? What about those who scheme Wicked schemes. How about the immoral? He says those that, that run to go plan evil. He hates those who are planning evil. He hates those who practice discord and disunity. And so we see that God is a God of love, but if you're going to actually have love, you are going to also have hate. You have to. Be continuously, constantly hating that which is evil. You see, because sin ruins fellowship. It ruins relationships with God and with others. And so we should hate sin. Because it's the sin that destroys. Be continuously and constantly hating that evil in our lives. That's why we need to be spending time in confession and repentance in areas where we know that we are falling and failing, and that's where we also need to get help. Some of the things that in life that we face and the struggles and the trials we have, we cannot conquer it just on our own. We think, well, it's me, the Bible, and prayer, I'm going to do it. No, you're missing one important thing that God's Word talks about. That's the body of Christ. That's believers walking with you, praying with you, holding you accountable, caring for you. That's what we're going to talk about in a few months because that's what Paul gets to here. Be continually, constantly... Dealing with that sin in our own lives. We're all prone to wander. Prone to walk into temptation. Be praying, determining every day. Like King David in Psalm 101. Write down Psalm 101. Great prayer in there. And he is praying that he, he would set no wicked thing before his eyes. That he would turn away from it. 
But see, what's happening in our culture today, it lulls us into sin. And, and, and it, it uses emotions, it uses advertising, different things. That, and, it, and it allows, you know, just little areas of tolerance here. Little tolerance for sin. And you know one of the greatest ways that he uses it here in the Western culture? Through, through laughter. We watch the sitcoms, we watch the movies, the different things, and we laugh at things that are sinful. Admit it. I've done it in my own life. And as I'm going through this text this week, it's like, yeah, we get lulled into this. We, we laugh when, when jokes are made about homosexuality. And we think it's kind of funny, and we know, you know where we stand with that, and yet we laugh at it, and it breaks down those barriers. It lulls us into tolerance, and, and tolerance leads us into areas Then, when we start to, to get into dangerous areas, and we start to become okay with sin, and we settle in sin, and next thing you know, we're being destroyed by that sin, or sin like that. And so we are to abhor, hate, make war against the sin in our lives. And so we, at times we have to warn and rebuke and confront one another in love. Remember love in, in an attitude of love. We are to abhor that sin in our lives, abhor the sin in others. It's the most loving thing that you can do at times is to challenge and to call someone out in areas of sin. I'm so thankful. No, I'm not. Yeah, I am. No, uh, yeah, I am. Um, you know what? Yeah, I am. Thankful for the men in my li- life, men and women in my life, over the years who have confronted me in areas of my sin. I like it, but I don't, but I need it. And so I like it, but I don't. Yeah, you. Are you ever in that kind of a battle? Yeah? Who are you? The, the, the inner lawyer comes out. Who are you? And, and, and right away we want to, you know, become the prosecutor and start pointing out things. And well, if you listen to what the Spirit is saying to us. Warren Worsby said, he says, truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality and love without truth is hypocrisy. You confront me lovingly for the good of my own soul and for the glory of God in my life done in love it's done built in relationship flee and run from sin and temptation so oftentimes we we want to see how close we can can get to sin charles spurgeon said the further from a poisonous snake the better stay away from sin wouldn't that seem to make sense that you stay away from a poisonous snake uh-huh but what about the, the sin and the temptation that we're walking ourselves into Flee and run from it. Hold fast, he then says. Hold fast to what is good. And, and that's, that word there, that hold fast, to cling to the good, is like a glue. Get connected to it. Hold fast to what is good. Amos 5.15 says, Hate the evil and love the good. Or to love the good in people, even when we can't find, find some good. Find some good. There's good in everyone. May drive you nuts. May hate the evil in them. Find the good. Real people in a fake world, it starts right here with me, with genuine love that hates, that hates evil. But it continues now with us. It continues with us here in this room. There is a progression that we see here. There are things we need to get right in this room in order for us to have an effectiveness with unbelievers, with the world out there. We have to get this right. And so put on your seatbelt. Get ready for this, okay? Because these are important words. Here in this room, genuine love serves others. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. You know, you know how you are when you're with brothers and sisters and cousins, you know? And, and there is oftentimes this very strange connectedness, right? There just is. You get together, even if you haven't hung out for a while, it's just like you're kind of like you're back at it. Yeah, sometimes fighting, back at it, but, the, but there's this certain kind of bond. There's this devotion to one another. There's a closeness, and, and even though you may fight it out, someone comes in and tries to, to pick on one of your family members, they've just created a war. We're just going to go to, because families stick it out together. And you may disagree, and you may go through seasons where it's a very rough part, 
But there is this pull towards family that we have been given from God. It's in, you could say it's in our blood. Therese, recently she was in, in our daughter, she's 16 years old, was at a volleyball tournament in Calgary, and she got together with a, a brother of mine and his wife and their three young kids, and, and uh, she hasn't had a lot of connection with these kids, but my brother's sending me these pictures of Clarice, and these kids were like right away all over her, on top of her, sitting, coloring at the restaurant, and there's this bond. Why? Because they're family. And when Our kids get together with their cousins, though they may see them twice a year. There's this bond that happens. Why? Because they're family. And that's what it says is supposed to be happening here within the body of Christ. We're family. There's a bond. There's a connectedness. We're in it for the long haul. You might leave it and you may run out of here and say, oh, I don't want that. You need it. That's what God's word calls us to be. Through thick and thin, through blood, and the ugliness that sometimes comes in life, We walk with and for one another. This speaks of the absolute necessity of healthy, biblical community within the church. You might say, well, I have a group of friends of people that are like me. I get together. Those are my people. Ah, That's not biblical community. Because biblical community is those that aren't like you and are going to be made up of those that are very different and may act and think and talk and drive you crazy. Because there's a sanctification that needs to happen in all of us that God continues. And so he will bring those people that drive you nuts. You know why? Because you will drive other people nuts. You will. Like I know some of you. You know, and I know I drive some of you nuts probably. You know, and and, and you wonder, why are we even here? And then I wonder, why are you here? And, And I mean, yeah, but we're connected. We're family. And that's what families do. You're connected. Brotherly love. Pursue brotherly love with one another. This is speaking to the body of Christ. Around the family table there can be, and that's why I'm looking forward to the potluck tonight. You better be coming to the potluck. That's what families do. You eat together. So we're feasting together. We'll talk about that at the end of the service. But, but that's one of the beautiful things that, that we get to do as family. And, and even around the dinner table, there can be great fights and there can be disagreements and messes, but somebody messes with your family, watch out because you're there. There's a connection. But in this family, there's a level of being able to be yourself and be real. Masks coming off. No one sees your faults and failures and shortcomings better than your own family. And that's okay to happen within the body of Christ here too. This same kind of thing should be happening in churches across our land. We need brothers and sisters to walk with us who are getting and who are knowing us, but we are also getting to know them. It's essential for our sanctification. It is essential for your and my growth. God has not called, called you to himself, but also he has called you to us. Not necessarily, maybe, maybe this isn't the church family for you. That's okay, but there has to be, God has designed it that we be part of the body of Christ. Community is an indispensable part of the Christian community. We need it in our lives. And if your involvement in church is basically listening to some worship and coming, listening to some preaching, that may be good and fine because that's all where you're at right now. That's all fine and good until life happens. And when life happens and the stuff things, stuff happens in life, I see on social media at times when people are going through a crisis, I'll, I'll see people put, praying for you, praying for you. Yeah, are you really? I, I'm not judging. Maybe they are. But then there's this other one, sending light and love your way. Like, give light and love, like, oh, man. I mean, it's just, it must be some crazy new age kind of thing. But I've seen, I'm, I'm seeing that a lot lately, and, and I don't think from, 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 from believers. But when life happens, you need more than light and love wishes. We need others in the trenches there with us, walking with us, encouraging us, speaking truth into our lives, sometimes the truth that we don't want to hear. We may not be there right now, but we will need it at some point in our life, and I encourage you, develop those friendships, those relationships now. Heart resurgence, this thing that was kicked off this past week, um, got a good start to it, a few kinks and different things to work out, and I'll be talking about that at the end of the message as well. But just encourage you to be a part of that journey because that will then lead into our small group ministry to follow. And and I won't lie to you, finding community is difficult, it's awkward. It requires sacrifice, humility. People will get on your nerves and you will get on the nerves of other people. But we are refined best in the furnace of community. 
That's where good refinement comes. We will be exposed in our own selfishness, our own pride, our own fears and struggles, but it's an exposure that will lead to God sanctifying us and changing us. That's the beauty of community, intergenerational communities. That's what I loved on, um, on, on um, Tuesday and Wednesday night of this week, although we could use a few more um, mature people, like um, not like you know, older people, Tuesday night west side, if any of you want to make the, the trip over, you know, just, just to balance out some of the young, younger ones that are there. But that's the beauty of community, about intergenerational communities, encouraging, challenging one another. I, 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 don't, um, I don't need others, we might think. I'm fine. I have my circle. But folks, that's dangerous. It's not biblical. We need others, and others need you. You may think, I don't have much to offer. Yes, you do. You have yourself. I'm not talking about a youth group for adults and, and just like ha- having a busier social agenda with, with some new friends. I'm talking about real community and the word of God and prayer and accountability with one another. Don't live an isolated life. It says love, an- love one another with brotherly affection. Get connected. Get in relationships. Genuine love motivates us to passionate services. This is the next thing here that we see. Outdo one another, verse 10, last part of verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in serving the Lord. Uh, Be be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. And what Paul is basically saying here, I love this in verse 10. He's saying, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. You know, do, do you see that in the word? Yeah, so, so what he's doing right here is he's giving a little wake-up call, just like I'm giving you right now. I trust that kind of woke you up a little bit. You're getting a little comfortable in these seats. Come on. He says, come on, folks. Let's not be slothful here. Got to get moving. Come on. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Come on. Get on it. Get moving. This is a call to aggressive action of giving yourself away, of serving. I love that... It's speaking here of a burning kind of an energy, <clears throat> a willingness to, to minister and to serve. It means being available. It was interesting. Um, yesterday, I got a text message from someone in the church, and they said that their furnace wasn't working properly and wondered if you knew of anyone in the church that could recommend something, and so kind of texted it out to... Um, some of the men that are in a uh, text group together, which any of you men can be a part of, um, and, and just put it out there and so sent some recommendations and some ideas and, and a few phone numbers and even, you know, one of, someone was even willing to go. And a little later on, I, I checked in with this person and uh, just said, hey, did you get the heat going? Uh, you know, how, how's it going? And, and she texted back, said, I think we're getting it figured out. We're trying a few things. We'll know, know on Monday. But then she said, this is the first time in four and a half years that I've lived here in Kelowna that I have felt I've been cared for as a widow. And I'm saying good and how sad. It's taken four and a half years. When we see a need, we are to be aggressive in serving, in meeting that need, in figuring it out. Say, well, I don't know what to do. Figure it out. We are to be, come on, it says, do not be slothful. You say, but I'm tired, yeah, of watching how many rounds of sports this week or, or, or doing this and all of these different things. How about our service for the Lord? It says here that slothful, don't be slothful in zeal, fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Get moving. This means being available. Look for ways to honor and encourage others. And there's all kinds of ways. Get creative. Some of you are, are crazy creative in your minds. Some of you might need a little more help. We get, Charlotte and I get a, a text message five days a week from a man who sends us um, scripture verses and just a little note saying, praying for you today. And I know that he is. That's the way he is showing honor to people on a daily basis. Get creative. Think about it. How you can be there to serve one another. I mean, look for ways to honor and encourage one another within the body of Christ. This is something that he calls us to do. And then, don't be slothful. This is talking about zeal, willingness to be available. This speaks of passion, excitement, enthusiasm. How's your zeal going for serving the Lord? Come on, stoke the fire. Get moving in this area. 
speaks of passion and excitement. Uh, Nate went um, to Big White, was pretty pumped about going to Big White this, this week, and so he had to get up at 5.45 in the morning to, to uh, make the connections and, and for this to happen. And, and, and he, I, I heard his alarm going off, and within like a few seconds, he was up out of the bed, and he came walking out, and he's like this, and, and I'm sitting there working, and, and he's, uh, you know, and I said, what? He says, I get to go to Big White, you know, and, and, and he was all excited because he gets to go skiing and, and all of that. He gets to go exert himself on God's creation and enjoy some uh, great views and, and a wonderful time and for a few hours of thrills. How about when it comes to exerting ourselves for some of God's creation, serving the brothers and sisters, which is for eternity, not just for a few hours, not to say that that's wrong to exert yourself in God's creation in a big way, but are we exerting ourselves in serving the body of Christ, serving others? I serve my family very well. Yes, and as you should. But also, too, it talks about serving. What about 7 o'clock? On, I, I mean, if we started to, to live this out, we should have a lineup of people here at 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Say, I can't wait to get in there and get this thing set up. Harvest kids, have, have help. No problem, right there. You know, like, if we're living this, we're going to see. And, and, and there's a zeal that comes like, oh. So re- reflecting and recalling, reacting to what God has already done to us. Look at the zeal that he had. Look at the passion that Christ had. He easily could have said, you know, there, as, as he turned in the garden that night before he was betrayed, eh, you know, kind of tired of this gig, kind of tired of these, 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 these servants, these, these disciples of me that you know, they're all going to, they're panning out here, they're f- dropping like flies. You know, I think I'm out here. No. He continued, he exerted himself on our behalf. And so a life of a genuine believer is someone who is growing in this area. Any of us perfect in this? <laughs> No, but as we grow in the glory of God and, and as these things continue to grow in our life, these are, are things that need to be developing, not slowing down in our life, but becoming stronger and stronger. Why do we do this? Because in Galatians 6, 9, it says, and let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Sometimes we give up on things too quickly. We give up on praying for people too quickly. We give up in, in certain areas too fast. I wonder... What this passage, uh, what if this passage came, came to life today in our midst in serving one another? Outdoing one another and showing honor. There's competition in this that, that he's basically saying here. Come on, let's get after it. Come on. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out-honor you. I'm going to, no, I'm going to out-honor you. No, I'm going to out-honor you. What does that look like? Figure it out. But I'm busy. I'm busy, I have so much on my plate. But how much time is that spent on things that, for eternity's sake, won't make much of a difference? How much sports, how much stuff on YouTube, on internet, social media, how much running and chasing after kids, because after all, we've got to make sure that they're busy in all of these different things, and then we wonder why they don't have a passion in serving the Lord or for things of God, because we don't. And maybe that abhorring the sin, what we talked about earlier, is abhorring kind of the pressure that our culture puts on us, that our kids need to be in this and this and all of this, and we need to be running around like crazy and ignoring God's word, ignoring God's people and community together, just because maybe we need to abhor some of what society, these cultural values are teaching us, and rearrange these things. Serve the Lord, serve the body, we are told in here. Genuine love is patient and prayerful. Next thing, verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Man, these are full. This is thick. This is amazing. Constant in prayer means always dependent. Knowing where your dependency lies. It's not on you. It's not in your wallet. It's not on your, your charm, your good looks, or your fading looks, whatever it might be. Your hope, your help, your dependency is upon the Lord. Not about how smart you are and what you, how you can reason through this. Your dependency is on the Lord, casting all your cares upon him because he cares. It's interceding for others, holding one another up in prayer. Are you doing that for one another? Hope is the anticipation of future delight when he says here, rejoice in hope. Why? Because that's how Courtney, my niece, can rejoice because she knows of the future hope that's coming here on this earth and in eternity to come. Folks, in the end, it ends well. This season... And your life may not end well. It may end in, in, you know, just a difficult kind of slugging it through. But in the end, 
And what we learn in these times can be very valuable if we allow God to use these times in our lives. Hope is the anticipation of the future delight. Persevering in the promises of God and in his word. Knowing that he is faithful. He will see you through. He will not, never leave nor forsake. And that's why in Romans 8.8, 8, this is why when you say, he did this for me this week in, in your assignment, in Romans 8, it says, and the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us because of what's coming. He did this for me. A glorious future is coming for you and for me. He did this for me, Romans 8. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, we also read, in a moment, in a moment, we will all be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, for the trump will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Death will be swallowed up in victory. Victory is ours, though it may look like there could be defeats and there are defeats and setbacks here on this earth. In the end, it's victory. Genuine love opens our eyes to the needs of those around us. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This means a giving of our resources. And we see the pattern in the church in the New Testament, the church in Philippi, they gave out of their, what, poverty to the needs of others, to the needs of Paul. They didn't wait till they had a certain nest egg built up and then they're like, okay, here you go. No, they were generous even when they were in their own poverty. We contribute to the needs of others, of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Hospitality is so much more. It is not about tea and crumpets. It's so much more than, than having your house all decked out just like a Pinterest kind of home with this perfect laid out meal and, and, and a meal, you know, five course meal that is just going to be spectacular. You know what hospitality is when it says practice hospitality? It says, it's, it's basically saying to others, you matter. Come over here to my messy house. You matter. Let's go out for a coffee. You matter. Let's take time out of your busy schedule, my busy schedule, Let's rearrange schedules because you matter. I care. How are you doing? We start ask, asking those questions. How are you doing? Oh, good, good. No, how, how are you really doing? Where are you hurting? Where are you frustrated? Where are you rejoicing? It means walking across the lobby after a service, before a service, saying, hi, I'm so-and-so, what's your name? getting to know others, making room for others, taking a look and saying, you matter. Men's breakfast, we've been going through 2 Timothy chapter 1. We've been taking a little while to get through it, which is good. And Paul talks about being abandoned by other believers. And the cool thing is, except there's this guy, Anesiphorus. And it was this guy, Anesiphorus, we don't know much about him, but Paul says, this guy often refreshed him. This guy came in, refreshed, encouraged, strengthened. We don't know exactly what he did, but he came in. He was like a breath of fresh air. He, he hunted down, to, hunted down um, Paul and encouraged him. And, and uh, the question is, who are you refreshing? Because oftentimes we think, well, no one's refreshing me. You know, I, I could use an anesophorus in my life. You know, who are you an anesophorus to? Who are you refreshing? We are to seek out others. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That means looking for it, not waiting for it, looking for it. Get on it. Get on it, he's telling us. We're going to stop here for today, and I'm going to ask Shayon to come. We're going to be worshiping, singing a song that just brings it back to, to what we've been talking about here, about reflecting, reflecting on all that God has done. And I trust that our lives would now, this week, be a reaction. We would live this out. I'm not saying that this is something that is going to just start happening like this in our lives, but I trust that today would be a step of progression of us being transformed and to be growing in these areas in our lives. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. I've said a lot today, and maybe I could have just even said a lot less and just simply bring it back to God's word for us here today, and so I'm going to read this over you and encourage you to be thinking, hey, what's the sticking point for me? What's the area that I need help in? What's the area I need to repent of? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. 
Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Some of you are there right now. Be patient. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Jesus, I pray that even now as we will be singing about your great love for us, we would respond not just in our hearts to this message, but in our lives, and we would live reactionary to the beautiful power of the gospel that we've talked about here today, how you have chosen us, how you loved us, how all of these things we've talked about, you did here when you were here on this earth. You demonstrated this to us. Never lacking in zeal, even though at times you were weary, but you went to get refreshed, not just by a good night's sleep, but by being with the Father. May we carve out that time to spend time with our Heavenly Father. Spend time with others that we can encourage and we can also be encouraged and challenged by. And Lord, I pray that even as we go through these 11 verses this week, or these 11 chapters, that we would just get a picture of your glory, of your love, be in awe that you did this for me. And I pray that there would be a crazy, unrelenting, unconditional love that would be flowing through our lives that comes only from you because in us we only have a small portion of love to give. And it's all for your glory. It's because of your grace. And help us to receive that and then to reflect that and to share that with those around us.